Welcome back to Legit Fat. I'm Joe. Jen's here. Ben is here. Yay, Ben and Lene. Uh, we have Veda Austin here today. And if you aren't familiar with her work, she does uh, kind of a carryover of uh, Masaru Omoto's work. And if you're not familiar with that, do a quick Google search because that's some amazing stuff. And as far as I know, he was kind of the first one to get into this area, at least in the mainstream. And it has to do with water memory and water consciousness, kind of. So we'll just start it out with this. Veda, uh, give us kind of your background and how you got into all of this uh, weird water work. <laughs> sure. Well, I've been studying the life of water for the last uh, nine and a half years. And unlike Masaru Emoto, my work is actually macroscopic. So I take all of my photos of ice on my iPhone and I teach people how to do it. Oh. I just did a beginner's workshop teaching people this morning how to do exactly what I do. So that's the beautiful thing is that you don't need a cold room. You don't need a microscope or any of those things to see incredible imagery in ice. So essentially... Uh, Emoto was one of the uh, people who was kind of a pioneer uh, in the area of showing that water could store information. Sadly, Emoto's work was not embraced at all by the scientific community because he openly shares that he cherry-picked the photos to show what he was trying to say. So he was fortunate enough to have a freezer, um, a cold room, where they were able to take a lot of photos of, of ice. So what was so powerful about Emoto's work, though, was that it was so visual, and the pictures speak a thousand words, and water has a lot to say. So essentially, people were able to realize, you know, I'm a body of water, not just by volume, but when you look at molecular count, we're 99% water. Our eye lens even is 99% water, making it um, very real that we actually see the world through the lens of water. There are more water molecules in our bodies than stars in the Milky Way. And yet when we see our body, we think we're so solid but we're only ever a cut away from leaking or an exercise away from leaking or an emotion away from leaking or various other things away from leaking. And yet we are still reminded all the time because we're encased in the skin that we feel solid. But in fact, we're these incredible, intelligent, fluid bodies of water. But there was, um, so, I mean, for anyone who wasn't familiar with Emoto's work, he became very famous for his photographs of ice crystals in contrast. Love, for example, he would write the word love on a container of water or say the word love and then take a little bit of it, flash freeze it, and the ice crystals would form into beautiful geometry like uh, snowflake-like ice crystals, whereas hate would fail to form structure. So when we see life in such contrast, which people seem to love to do, actually, I guess we learn a lot in contrast. Um, sometimes we miss a lot of the in-between stages and the in-between stages and the subtleties is actually where I'm very, very interested in. I think the secrets are always in the subtleties. Um, but he really made people think, oh, you know, I'm a body of water sensitive to thoughts, uh, to words, to music, to environment, and these kinds of things. So uh, there was another man by the name of Laurent Costa. 
he's still around. He's and um, he's actually a friend of mine. He's a French microscopic photographer of water. He's not as well known as a moto, but what inspired me so much with him was that he never wanted to experiment on water. And he did never considered what he was doing to be experimenting, much the same way as me, to be honest. Um, and I have various reasons for that. But Laurent, he would simply invite water to share whatever it wanted with him. And then he would flash freeze it in a similar way, look down a microscope and take photographs. But what he was getting was so different. He wasn't just getting geometries. He was getting imagery. He was getting smiley faces in the ice. He was getting fish. He was getting perfect hearts. He wrote a book called Journey into the Heart of Water. And what was so interesting is that sometimes he would smile at the water before he would flash freeze it. And that's when he'd get the smiley faces. If he'd been playing with um, his son or something like that, he would see something relative to what they'd been doing. They'd get bunny rabbits and things. And well, you see, I worked professionally as an oil painter for many years, so I see the world through an artistic lens. So seeing imagery rather than geometry was really interesting to me. And I thought, well, you know, but at, back then, all those years ago, I didn't have a microscope. And I was like, well, you know, this is really cool that they can do that. But like, what can I do? How can I see for myself if water really has some kind of memory, let alone getting into water and consciousness at that point? And so the third person who inspired me, his name was Thomas Hieronymus. He was a radionic engineer and he went into a Parisian meat market and he observed that the freshly placed organs of an animal appeared to be affecting the way the frost froze on the glass behind where they were placed. For example, the frost would freeze into the shape of a liver organ above a liver organ and so on and so forth. And so his hypothesis was that there seemed to be some kind of life force energy still emanating out of these organs that weren't even attached to an animal and that that life force energy appeared to be affecting the way the frost froze. So there is such a thing called sonic signatures. So each organ of a body has its own sonic signature, sort of like cymatics, its own identifiable um, kind of imprint. And that's held in the water. So and it holds there for a long period of time, longer than we might imagine. And so the water that was in the blood essentially was sharing information, this is his hypothesis, with the water that was in the air, which was so cold, it then froze into that blueprint of that organ. And what was so cool about what he was saying and seeing was that it was macroscopic. He was seeing it with his naked eye. So I observed all these three people, the secret seemed to be in the freezing, where the unseen becomes seen. So what I wanted to do was see it for myself. So essentially, I had a glass Petri dish from uh, another thing I was doing, and I had some spring water. Uh, and so I thought what I'd do was put some spring water in the Petri dish, and I was going to project a thought into the water and then freeze it and see what happened. That was my very rudimentary idea. And as I was looking in the Petri dish, I noticed that there was a bit of fluff floating around on the water. So I go, oh my God. So I put my hand in to take out the fluff, consciously thinking, oh, I wonder if my hand will have any impact on the water's quote unquote memory because I didn't know if that was really a real thing. 
So I thought, oh, that, well, that thought will do. So I, I put it into the freezer with the peas and the broccoli and all that stuff. And I forgot about it for a few hours. I had zero expectation of seeing anything, quite honestly. And then I came back and I'm like, oh, yeah, I wonder what's happening in there. So I take it out, hold it up to the light, and I took a photo on my iPhone. And that photo has launched over 37,000 photos of water responding in the most incredible ways. And what I saw was an image of a hand that water had used its building blocks of ice to design that took up half of the dish. Now, I can share that with you if you like, and then share some other images of what I've done over the years, if you like. Should I do that? Yes, Absolutely. for sure. Yes, yeah. Of course, we'll share it with you. It should be ready yep. to share. It doesn't say it isn't. Yep, it's perfect. Oh, there so, we go. Perfect. Okay, so this is just a quote I like by the late, great Victor Schauberger, and he says, in every drop of water dwells the Godhead. And that might be just a nice little teaser for us to start uh, this lovely deep dive into water. So this is the example of the hand. So this is the picture, the very first picture I ever took, remembering that this was completely frozen water. Now, I haven't completely frozen water in years and years and years and years because I discovered something really, really interesting. And I'm going to talk about that um, as you can just kind of look at some of the examples of my work. So I discovered after about a year of doing all of this work and using all different kinds of fluids, like the second uh, image I ever took after seeing the hand was from seawater. And I saw this incredible fish appear in the ice. And then I realized that water seemed to like to design, whether through its environment and imprint from that, or whether it was through my conscious expression or just putting something into the water in the Petri dish, taking it out and then freezing it. And so I'm going to explain some of these, but I was very, very interested in water stages of freezing. And as I became more familiar with the fourth phase of water, I realized that the stage, I thought, I thought, you know, I'm missing something here. So I started to open my freezer earlier and earlier and earlier. So there's a liquid, solid gas, and then a type of gel or plasma. That is the stage of freezing, but before frozen and, and in the melting stages. And as I got to about five minutes, I noticed there was liquid on top and ice underneath. When I took that out, and held it up to the light, the water drained away and there was this crystallographic image. So most of these are using that technique where water is in what I call the state of creation. It is not completely frozen. We're looking at liquid crystal. It gives us a much thinner layer of water. A lot of light can come through, which is where you see different colors coming through. And also um, it shares great complex information far far greater than if you completely freeze water solid so um, over here for example i gave some water to a lady who was in a fairly early stages of pregnancy and i asked her to think of her baby and then she drank some water left me some i froze that and you can see the outline of a baby over here i um, was at a cafe <clears throat> and there was this dog, this schnauzer dog that was drinking out of one of the bowls that was left out for thirsty dogs. 
And it was probably one of the strangest requests the waitress has ever been asked, but I asked if she could give me a takeaway cup for the dog bowl water. And she kindly like looked at me like I was a total weirdo, but you know, gave it to me and I came home and froze it. And I'm super glad because it looks like an etching of the dog. This is a really interesting one. My daughter really loves um, birds. And so this was a, a photo, a big close-up photo of an owl. And so I put a piece of cardboard halfway down the owl's face and put the petri dish of water on top of the piece of cardboard so it wasn't directly touching the other half of the face of the owl and it designed the other eye, which was really cool. So the shapes and sizes of the uh, images vary greatly. Sometimes they can take up the whole dish. Sometimes it's half the dish. Sometimes it's quarter of the dish. So they do vary quite a bit. Um, I got a question for you, if I could. Yeah. So what was crazy, at least in that just initial slide, is the fact that it is not identical. It's mm -hmm. almost like when someone sees a flash image in their head and they try to retrace it, it comes out where you can see what they were trying to do, but it is different. The, uh, I don't know if that's like uh, BDSM gear that that person is wearing or if it's just Catwoman. Um, <laughs> uh, but like the ears, say that too, actually. <laughs> yeah, but like the ears are longer. It's, yeah. it's almost like when somebody saw the back of that and then they went to resketch it and some of the proportions were a little off or uh, the other one that I was looking at was the dog, how it's, you can tell it's a dog and what it is, but the proportions are just a little bit off from the kind of dog that it was. And that to me is almost more compelling because if it, if it was just a, a perfect replication or in process of doing so, that to me would, in my opinion, have a lot more of a chemical effect mm -hmm. where it would be more, you could explain it better. But as soon as you put this one up, I was like, well, see, I had a theory that I was going to ask you about, but this is actually kind of a whole different thing. Like, it's. It, I'm so glad you, you, you brought that up because a lot of people don't. And... The thing is, is that it is, it's water is an artist. So it's kind of, it's, it's interesting too. And it, and water communicates, let me say, in three different ways in relation to this technique. We have signature patterns. So each type of water has its own signature pattern, which we'll get into in a minute. We have art. I always say that art is the heart of water. And then you have hydroglyphs. And hydroglyphs are repeatable. They're symbols. They're different than the art so it's interesting because when you look at this work you're absolutely right it's not identical it is like an artistic expression it's almost as if it's kind of like a snapshot of a memory and then we had to draw it right and so this is exactly right what you're saying I love that you kind of brought that aspect to it because a, a lot of people we don't we don't get into that conversation so um there's an interesting aspect about this top one up here where I put my thumb into the Petri dish of water for 30 seconds. I, I just happen to like that number. People always say, is there, a, is it a magic number or something? I'm like, it's just not too long and not too short. Um, but when I, uh, after I took the photograph, you'll notice there's a little chip at the end of the nail in this picture. 
three hours after doing this, I chipped my thumbnail in exactly that same place, which was kind of, was kind of weird. <laughs> well, what mystified me about that one versus the rest of the ones that you're showing here is that the water isn't a picture of what touched the water. It's a picture of what you were doing to the water. Yeah. Well, yeah. Which is, it's almost that, like it's, it's yeah. almost like the water saw it, no yeah it's, it's interpretation it's from the water's perspective seeing. it's not from right it's like well, coming in like that like the water well, a lot of the... drew the picture of of you doing that that's that's a that's really weird sorry go ahead <laughs> yeah well it's just interesting over here too because this was um where i, I so i usually have a petri dish of water somewhere on my countertop and I was cutting onions and I had all these tears and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to just put some of those tears into the water. And so I just scooped a few tears into the water. Um, and was it quite cool and interesting and it's just got a very kind of orangey background. So backgrounds make different colors appear. So that's why you see different colors, but it really did show my iris. And so it's quite interesting because chemical tears when put into spring water um, so that means that you know tears that have come from a chemical reaction like onions tend to form and show an iris whereas emotional tears tend to form different patterns so I might have some of those in this one I'm not too sure um, and then you can see my, my children play a lot with water and have been over the many many years and so um, my son was interested in Batman at some point. And, um, and so he put the Petri dish of water literally on the couch whilst they watched Batman and then he froze it. So well, some of these are, you know, by my children. Um, so it's kind of fun to see the shape that kind of came, especially with my son's kind of mm, interpretation himself, I think of Batman as a figure. Um, this one, you can see I took the water from the broccoli and froze it here. Um, very simple. And then it kind of, I mean, literally there's thousands and thousands and thousands of them. So um, this is just a small selection and I share daily. So um, you can kind of see that, that it's not a random thing. Uh, that's so, what I was going to bring up next. I, I have been stalking your uh, Instagram and your website because every time <laughs> you post something, I'm like, this is beyond the uh, the percentage of chance here, because at this point, this is something that happens and it's almost like water is creative in itself. It's not just taking a facsimile of whatever you're putting onto it, which would be weird enough, but it's doing its own interpretation of what you're doing, which is even weirder. But, you know, that's what I love what you guys are bringing up, which again, so really is brought up is that water truly is designing it's not it's not a it's not a photocopier it's an artist and that's the part i think that a lot of people feel almost uncomfortable about is this idea that this could have a sovereign sovereignty about it and i always remind people when they're doing this work because again i teach people how to do this is that we have to remember that water is wild. And I think as humans quite often, especially with something that we have reduced so dramatically down, and I'll just stop the shepherds and come back to it, is that in the olden days, water um, used to be called the waters. 
And then back in the in time when um, the Romans started to uh, make plumbing, um, water was reduced from being called the waters to water. And then we became very familiar with seeing water do more than one thing. It wasn't just a life source of, of, of energy for us, of hydration for us, of bathing for us, but that was taking away waste. So we then saw water taking waste away and then water became water. And very often nowadays we've reduced it even more so to H2O. And so where the waters has remained in our language is when we say her waters broke because it stayed as huh. a sacred body of water. So the fact that we see water take waste away and we associate water as something that we just, you know, we, we know we need it, but until we don't have it, we don't realise it's, it's like at least even just physical value, let alone its sort of spiritual or emotional value that it gives us. And so when you're looking at this work and you start to think, oh, really water's designing, it's creating, it's taking a snapshot and it's designing on its own, like what? And then you do it again. If you take one image and then you repeat that, quite often what you'll see is say, imagine that water was sitting um my glasses were on the top of the petri dish. So the, the view you might get might be this. But then if you do another one, the view you might get might be from the side or maybe it'll focus on, on a, a bit of the corner or a word. It's like it will take an aspect of those glasses and show you different kind of angles of it from perspectives. It's interpretive. Thing. Yeah, it's interpreting it from the angle that it's seeing it, which is bizarre because... Is it all of the water that's conscious and doing this, or is it all working together? Because it's taking the part that it wants in doing its little it's artwork. taking a part of water. It's like people. It's how I view people. Like every person, if you take a person or a group of people and give them a picture and tell them to redraw it, they're all going to draw it differently. And if you take little sections of water, I think it will interpret it differently. But that's because I'm a weirdo, and I think we're all part of the same thing. So it's like if you take the water separately mm -hmm. out from that big giant body, it's little pieces of that thing, but it's still going to have its own separate consciousness in a way. But you, you've absolutely right, because what I say is that you can say you have a room full of artists and each person has got like, a, a, you know, in the middle is there a bowl of fruit and the guy, lady or person says, now everybody draw the bowl of fruit. Every artist is going to draw a bowl of fruit, but the bowl of fruit is going to look different. And so that's what we see if we show like seven different Petri dishes all seeing the same image, we'll get different versions of that image from each dish, which is really cool because you're going to see something similar. And I'm about to share something like that, actually, a, a test I did um, using an image, the same image and surrounding that image with Petri dishes and then freezing them at the same time. And it's it's really kind of amazing what you start to realize water can do when you work with it for long enough and you start doing these things but you don't expect to know what it's going to do that's the key it's like actually staying out of your own way because we're so used to controlling things and especially within a scientific realm it's difficult because water trying to take consciousness out of the equation 
it's very hard because when are you not consciously aware of what's going on if you're focused on something even if you're not there there is a bonding that happens and so that's another piece one of the things that we we tend to forget is that there's water in the air water is in so many different stages all at once so the fact that we have electrical charge and we're bodies of water electrical charge can be measured by heart math comes out of our body and so the fact that we breathe means that there is air around us then water in that air right and the water in the air even though we can't see it it's very very subtle is attracted to our electrical charge it gives us this kind of um a uh, liquid antenna, liquid kind of antenna that's able to pick up information, share information. It's how we can sense when a house or something just feels weird or a person feels not right or they feel really good. You know, we all have these, these patterns that are constantly moving um, with our electrical charge. And so water is this uh, another, there's so many aspects of it where light has to come into play as well. So, That's exactly what I was just about to ask you was before we got on the podcast, we were talking and had looked at some of the images. And the first thing that I came up with in my head, not knowing anything about this field, mind you, uh, is the old kind of pictures that used to be taken with phosphorus and how the light flash, all it did was it would go and bounce around objects so that when it came back, it showed the contrast of near and far. And that's what you saw the darkened image of. And so we were wondering, is it kind of like that where the water is seeing, see, seeing, I don't know if that's right or whatever, where it's over an image. And so it's collecting what it sees as darkened, lightened images. And then it goes, that's what I'm going to draw. Is, is it any kind of thing like that or you know it, it's you've you've definitely going along a really um similar path of thinking because i've thought that too i've had so many people give me suggestions over the years and i've looked into a lot of them or most of them and what is interesting i think it's more complex than that i think in the beginning i definitely okay. was more open to thinking oh it could be that maybe it's this maybe it's it's about kind of light bouncing and this and that but water in its liquid stage is in what is termed as molecular chaos it's updating its information every trillionth trillionth of a second as it begins to slow down but before it's completely solid where it's actually in a state of suspension the in-between stage is where it actually it's almost as if it has a choice of design so here's the interesting part um, and there's a, there's so many interesting parts, but this was a piece. I spoke at the annual water conference in Germany um, in October with Dr. Jerry Pollack and a bunch of scientists and biologists and physicists. And I was the last speaker of the event. I was placed um, at the banquet so that um, you know, I could. it was a safe place for me to be placed, I suppose. I'm very grateful to have been there. But I shared something that I learned from this American Indian lady. And I was a bit nervous because I'm like, well, this is really spiritual. So I don't know how they're going to like this. But when they heard it, they had this real aha moment. So what she told me was that she could speak to bees, right? And she said she would watch their hives for long periods of time. And she said eventually a bee came out and it communicated to her somehow and said, 
we don't mind you looking at our hive, but please don't look at it for too long because your conscious expression is putting too much light in the hive and we like it to be darker. And I thought that was really interesting because if consciousness is what is really an aspect of light, when you're uh, focused on water, you're giving it this extra amount of light. So water is actually mostly photons. It's mostly light. And what's really interesting, because I've studied things in the freezer for so many years, I've observed a lot of things. And so as water is just beginning to freeze, it often sends out these little shoots from the side of the glass dish. And every now and then, I'm able to photograph that shoot and you see this sort of halo around the shoot. And it's like this little light. And I actually think it's light that paves the way for the design of the image. And I think that that then takes you into a whole nother area of, um, of a deep dive. Because, well, because sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say that kind of. Uh, when you're talking about water being all around us all the time at diff in different stages, that almost sounds like the description of the ether or that unseen thing that kind of makes up everything and why everything kind of connects is because water is probably literally everywhere in, in a different stage at some point. So when you, I, you beat me to it, but the cymatic thing, that's what, that's what it may, reminds me of is if, if we do emit our own like biological, uh frequency for lack of a better word that would make sense because sound does the same thing to sand uh, with cymatics you you shoot a frequency at it and it makes a different pattern so it actually make i mean in theory makes sense that your intention or frequency that you're shooting out would make its own pattern into the water and it's really interesting that it's only in a not only but in in a certain stage of freezing that it exhibits that you know imagery it's crazy but that was just thoughts that were going through my head i had to get it out yeah i mean i i think that there's something very very special about this in between stages i really think i've always said that the secrets are in the subtleties and i think it's the in-between stages where those secrets really lie and it's amazing to me i look back at my work now when i did the hand and the fish and these things that i got as clear imagery as i did given that these these three stages of freezing and the three stages of freezing is the first freeze, which is where I take the images, I photograph them. It's like a five-minute thing. It's very quick. And then um, the second and third freeze kind of happens together. It creates this kind of scaffolding. And then there's another layer of freezing. Um, so loud outside, sorry. There's another layer of uh, frozen um, ice on top. So, And then there's a liquid in between. And that liquid then freezes solid. And after it's completely frozen, frozen solid, it's, it's almost impossible to see any of the first freeze anymore. So to see imagery like I used to, like that hand is really amazing to me, given how simple and quick and how much complex imagery we see in the in-between stages. It's really amazing. But I do have some more um, photos that we can go through if you like. Oh, for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, I was always curious, and this is something I don't normally share, just um, it's just happened as part of a masterclass that I had. So I thought I'd just share some of it with you. So um, I, I thought, well, I wanted to see what might happen if there could be any imagery in boiling water, given that it's in such a state of 
excitement or chaos. And it's interesting because I was talking to a mutual friend of ours um, just earlier, and he was explaining the difference between chaos and excitement. And he he really nailed it for me because he 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 made something I had been confused about suddenly make sense. Um, because if water is in such molecular, what we term as molecular chaos, updating its information so much, like how can it take these snapshots if it's constantly every picosecond moving and taking information in? And then I was thinking, then he, he mentioned, well, it's, it's, it could be in a state of excitement. When you're in a state of excitement, there is this much more, uh, there's more attention to what is um, the focus of that excitement. So that sort of brought more, more, made more sense to me. So what we're seeing here is water actually showing imagery. So um, many people don't know, but I used to dance many, many years ago. And so um, prior to even doing this work with the boiling water, which seems so random given that I do so much freezing stuff, but I guess it's still water, um, is that I had um, been talking to somebody about that. And uh, I hadn't told anybody, but I'd also had a really bad pain in the back of my neck. And so it was interesting because both of these images were, were from the same pan in the same pan. So they just came up at different times. So it's kind of interesting. You can see the outline of the head and the arms and the dress. And then you can see the vertebrae and even the kind of area where the teeth might be and the skull. So just kind of interesting and cool, not something you see very often, or maybe you do, and I just need to um, do <laughs> <of> it. <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't think it's something we see all that often. I love that you interpret, I love that you're looking at the water and trying to understand it because what the water is interpreting as well. And if we don't, if you weren't open-minded, you would possibly miss all of that. I, I think that's where a lot of things get missed, um, just because maybe we we are looking at things from only one perspective. One of the things I really like to do is have a threefold perspective, where I see things as art, as uh, consciousness, and as science. And in, in the camp of art, you can invite both into that world, where it's, it's a very good place to be. So this is in sets of four. Over here are four examples of the signature pattern of spring water. They form what I call a fern hexagon. So it's like the star in the form shape of a hexagon with kind of fern-like legs, let's say. There are four patterns here. The signature pattern of rainwater, it's kind of like a fanning pattern. This is the signature pattern of filtered water, these straight lines. And these are the signature patterns here of tap water, which have very disordered lines. I'm talking municipal tap water. Right. On through a lot of right angles. Now, again, here we have the art. Now, I didn't take all of these photos since I've been teaching people how to do this. Some of these are from other people. The hmm. duck is from someone else. Um, the apple is from someone else. And the um, nail clippers is from someone else. So this is really wonderful for me, is that this isn't just about me having a special relationship with water. This is anybody can do this and children are fantastic at it and it's just about understanding that water can design I mean we didn't even really really appreciate that it could do more than 
like form geometries. What we've become very familiar with with water is the beautiful geometries like snowflakes and things. But I mean, it might have happened at some other point, or maybe somebody's been doing something I don't know about. But being able to see imagery like art, art is a very sophisticated language. You know, really, uh, pictures do speak a thousand words, and water has a lot to say. And my friend Wendy here, she's become the kind of the face of water because she was really the first face that water interpreted. Now, over here, even though you can't see them all very clearly, we do have some closer up ones as we go through. These are hydroglyphs. These are essentially symbols and ice that I've identified by doing repeat tests. And I'll get into more about their significance very soon. But there are 64 examples of each symbol that you see there. We have the symbol for money and abundance. And I get into that because that that's confronting for some people. The idea that, um, that this, this coin glyph is even there. I shared that with some uh, on social media. And a lady said, you know, well, why and what is wisdom and all of its ancientness, you know, and and, wis and all of this stuff, would it even bother with, with talking about money? Isn't money the root of all evil? And I said, well, if this is a language, we can't really pick and choose what words we want and we like and what we don't like. But it's not the kind of way we interpret language. So this is very conceptually complex. So this is a picture language designed to be spoken and felt, um, designed to be seen and felt rather than spoken, much like hieroglyphs. Hieroglyphs are conceptual language and then the picture languages that we see and that we feel. And so there's some overlap with hieroglyphs and hydroglyphs. And so the coin symbol, I mean, if you think about how long human beings have been flicking coins into wishing wells and making wishes, goes way back into our great, 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 great grandparents have been doing that. In fact, you know, there's this kind of idea, even with the, the ancient uh, Greeks and Romans, when someone would die, where they would put coins on the eyes of the people mm -hmm. who passed away to give, pay the ferryman to take them across the river <laughs> to Hades, where then they would come to two rivers, the river of remembering or the river of forgetfulness, and they could drink from either one. So, you know, the symbology is there but it also means abundance. And then you have the change glyph over here, which also means winter. You have the lotus glyph, which means um, purity and enlightenment. You have the star, which means imagination. You have the message glyph, which was a very complex um, glyph. And then you have the information glyph. And this is just a handful. I have 36 of them. It's taken me nearly five years to get 36 because to say I have one, I have to have done it, repeated, repeated it over 50 times and seen the same result. Real quick. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, Joe. Oh, no, go for it. I was going to say, you mentioned, you know, uh, money is the root of all evil. And the first thing that popped in my head is misconception. The love of money is the root of all evil. And as soon as I thought about that, I went, actually, that supports your theory even more because you would be talking about intention, like you were talking about with the, uh, you know, electric magnetic pulse or uh, field being projected onto the money and then when you brought up the wishing well my first thought is well if people have been doing this for you know thousands of years that re i don't want to say recycled water but essentially recycled water of we're seeing 
water from thousands of years ago that is coming back to us. And if somebody is emanating that kind of intention and it has memory, it's like, what? There you go. And then the second thought that I had was who the hell decided to flash freeze nail clippers? (laughs) Like, holy crap. Well, you know, what was cool is that it wasn't his intention to freeze the nail clippers. The nail clippers were sitting beside his Petri dish. And what's even cooler about that is that this guy, John, he lives um, in in America where in the winter it's so cold, he freezes all his dishes outside. He doesn't use a Mm. freezer. And so he's been getting some of the most amazing crystallography you've ever seen, like incredible stuff. And he can watch it freeze. He the, says the water's it, like, hey, buddy, you need to do this, man. It's sitting right here. Here's a <laughs> reminder. Your nails. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but then you see complexity like this where yeah. water is, you know, um, designed. Uh, a, this is a something called a pataka, which is a Maori uh, food storage hut. They were built on stilts. I took some water from an area that had a lot of Maori settlement, but from a hundred over a hundred years ago. Wow. And what was interesting is that the image came first, and then I went looking through um, historical kind of books to see what what kind of um, stuff was there, if there were any 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 information about the settlement that used to be there. And they had sketches of these pātaka that were there. And I'm like, oh, my God, it looks so much like this. So I don't know if you can see, but there's like a second one in the background there. And again, yeah. like you said, it's not identical, okay, but yeah. it's similar. It's very interesting. Well, so the weirdest thing to me is like, what do you say to people? And I, I kind of mentioned it earlier with the uh, percentage of chance that this could be. And to me, it's way beyond that. But are you familiar with synesthesia? You know, people seeing patterns and things that aren't there, like looking at clouds and like, that's a horse, but it's just a cloud. Like this is beyond that to me because there's so many examples, like the the last ones you showed where there's 36 or whatever examples. It's kind of beyond just pattern recognition. There's something there that's showing the same thing in a different way. Well, one of the things that Jerry Pollack invited me to do from a more scientific point of view, and he invited me to do this some years ago, and I was, is I can see why he wanted me to do it. So he said, put a questionnaire together of 25 of your images, 25, whichever you like. And then simply write, what does this image look like to you? And then circulate it. So I gave it to people that I knew and um, they circulated it on social media. So no one knew it was coming from me. No one even knew what they were looking at. They didn't know if it was water or it was anything, right? And so 298 people um, did the survey and they wrote what each image looked like to them. And when we tallied it up, 85% of people were able to recognize the image, the ice image for what the influence was prior to freezing. Wow. And out of those 25 images, three of them got 100% of people to recognize what the image was. So that's like so helpful because we're looking at real image recognition. In fact, um, a lot of the things where I put together my presentations, I do it on a a Canva, which is actually what I'm showing this on to you on now. And it has this thing where, and I think some of the latest, like my new phone, I think can do it, where if it recognizes something as an image, it can take the background out. So, Mm -hmm. um, so with some of the images, 
I think that's, yeah, portrait mode or something like that. Yeah, I'm not too familiar, but um, where you can just, it won't take the background out if it can't identify anything. And so with some of the work, it's identifying it so much that it will literally just take the background out as if it's seen, because it's seen an image that it recognizes, like the house kind of image, that design, the background comes perfectly out as if it's just cut itself out perfectly but some of them won't do it but a lot of them will so it's kind of interesting when you start to see that even computers are recognizing things as images it's very interesting right. um, I, I i did have one one more question for you joe brought it up a little bit ago of the uh <clears throat> uh sound waves obviously making the patterns and whatnot and we've talked about you know natural patterns you just gave the examples of rainwater tap water and all of that is there Obviously, if if the petri dish has some kind of vibrational pull, whether it be a you know a bass kick coming out of a, a song that's being played, two questions: one, is there a way to see without any really harsh or definitive vibration, yet still there being a particular song being played that enhances or diminishes? Uh, a particular pattern or picture that the water is trying to form. And on top of that, is it actually necessary to try to keep it as still as possible? And does that change it? Uh, I was more interested in, in the physical mechanics of when you're going to flash freeze it after it either being shown something or emanating something. What, what are those exterior variables that neither need to be eliminated or have you seen enhancements from them? You know, I love that you're asking me these questions because they are, they are the questions that coming from a scientific perspective, of course, they're the questions to ask. Right. And <laughs> Yeah. And here's the interesting part that I think that that is somewhat difficult in that respect is that the protocols apply when you're getting to learn this technique. Like I give people the protocol in the beginning. Um, say, for example, you're writing a word. You write a word. You put your Petri dish of water on top of it for 30 seconds. You take it off. You immediately put it in the freezer. You freeze it for five minutes and 20 seconds. You take it out. You drain the liquid water away. You take the photo. Okay. That's a protocol, right? Okay. So, but <laughs> I've been doing this now, like I said, coming up to nearly 10 years. I know that I need to get out of the way of my thinking. And a part of this process, once you get through and understand the actual technique, is actually about letting everything else go. The more attention I pay to What's going to happen here? Okay, let's, the better, easier way is to explain it like in a relationship. Okay, and in a very early days of a relationship. Oh, shit. And <laughs> <laughs> what happens is that, um, you know, you're getting to know somebody. Sometimes we're not really showing all of ourselves, right? We're just kind of like asking questions. We're getting to know each other. Whereas the family relationship for example, um, you're well past that stage. Like, you know, it's, it's like your brother or your sister or your family member or your husband or your wife or partner or whatever, right? 
that relationship, there's no masks. They don't, they're not going to stop loving you because your hair's a mess and your breath could kill a goat when you woke up. It's like you have like a relationship whereby you already know all of the features of that person's face. You know when they're sad. If if he or she's saying, I'm fine, you know that they're not fine. And so no matter what the words might be, the emotion behind it, you know, you can feel it, right? You know that person well enough. You know all their little idiosyncrasies. You know what's going on, okay? So this is the relationship I've started to form with water, whereby... I don't need to use any of these protocols. I don't do that even anymore. What already knows what I'm going to ask it before I even ask it. Honestly, it's kind of like I'm far more interested in what is going to share with me. So the less I do, wow. the more I get. So the so in the beginning, it's literally like building the relationship. It's like, yes, so is it going to matter if I shake the dish when it's in the um, freezer? If, if said with it, will the door make a difference and things like that? In my experience, the more we relax into this work, the more we actually don't worry about all of that stuff so much, the more water can design, the less we're getting, we're not, it's not so much a, um, a relationship based in the head as it is a relationship really based on emotional connection. And right. It's, it's freeing. It's the idea that you've broken through those barriers. It's like, do I bring chocolates and flowers to pick her up? And then eight <laughs> months later, you're taking a shit with the door open. <laughs> so uh, it's, one of the, <laughs> it's one of the things where it's like, when you get past, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> um, when you get past, maybe not everybody does that. I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, but it's one of those, if, if I'm understanding you correctly, it's one of those things where Oh, oh, hold on. Okay, I froze for a second. It, I was going to say, you're chopping barriers, up there for you're a not second. Thinking, yeah, I didn't like what I was saying. Um, when you get past those dumb idiosyncrasies that you typically are consciously thinking about and usually overthinking about, when that goes away and you know, much like the person that you have been with for a while, that you don't need to ask the question because you already know the answer that they would usually form you're already doing that with the water if i'm understanding what you're saying correctly it is and even even beyond that so water for me has become like a teacher kind of in a very conscious type of spiritual way so one of the there's been many reasons that i've started to um really see water in new ways so even so even kind of beyond the very familiar relationship that, that we were just talking about, which I think we can all kind of relate to on one level or another, <laughs> um, which I think is, is, is actually, it's such a relaxed space when you're in that space because there's no pressure. One of the things, the greatest teachings water's been sharing with me and with others of late um, is, is that we're breaking down so many of the old ways the old ways of thinking and being and all of these kind of uh, formalities whereby we're kind of coming into the more maybe um, ancient or indigenous way where we kind of can, um, like, for example, 
the um the in in my culture in, in New Zealand my dad is native New Zealand Maori and when we greet each other we do something called a hungi which is where we touch our forehead and our nose and we breathe just for a short time together and so this is the way we greet each other and again it's kind of like when you do that you share breath with somebody there is kind of um the pineal gland energy is touching one another and there is this kind of knowing of each other it's like two bodies of water are always in kind of in this resonance right and so there is an intimacy in that but also we have um we do have people in our world that really resonate at high frequency and we know who they are because we can feel them we're attracted to those people. They make us feel good. They uplift us. You know, there's something about them that's just, we can't put our finger on. They're just super special somehow. And we are probably that person for someone as well. And so for me, water is also that. Water is a teacher for me. And it's shown me things like that there is no um, separation from people who have passed. That might sound kind of weird, but there is, I don't You're in the right spot for weird. We love this stuff. (laughs) I like weird too. But um, my my mom passed away in 1999. She was my best friend. She was just the most beautiful, beautiful angel that I was so lucky to have in my life. And, um, And so years and years ago, I used to live in Japan. And mom and I would write letters to each other. This was before like cell phones and emails and all of this and actual real letters. And at the end of every letter, my mum would make some attempt to draw a circle because her circles were always the worst and she'd be the first to admit it. And then she'd do a little heart in the middle. And so I, I think about her a lot. And years ago, I said to Walter, I just said out loud, I said, can you connect to my mum? And so then I froze the water. And I always remember mum saying, you know, even when I'm not here anymore in this physical body, I'm always going to be with you. And when I pulled the dish out and I took a photo, it was this misshapen circle with a heart in the middle. And nobody else knew that mum used to do that. I've got this pile of letters that she used to send me. It was so special. And so now every year on her birthday, I, I, I ask the same thing and I see the same picture. It's not identical, but it's still a misshapen circle with a heart in the middle. And they keep wow. getting her circles are improving. And so I <laughs> really appreciate that about her. <laughs> She's crying out to you from the water. I'm trying. She's like, I'm, I'm getting better at my circles. I'm using a protractor and shit now or compass. So... <laughs> I, I also wanted to ask, like, I know you've probably been asked this before, but what do you think about the different types of water that you use? Because our water is all kinds of fucked, especially in the U.S. I mean, we're using recycled poop water to drink here, like for the most part. So have you noticed a difference in like a Dasani water bottle versus spring water versus um, tap water or anything like that? Are they different or do they kind of hold the same memory or shape? That's a, that's a really good, clearly defined question. Um, so, so, yes, there are differences. And, um, and 
there's lots of differences for lots of reasons. So spring water is kind of like in a similar vein to dew. So it's very new. It has this beautiful crystalline kind of patterns. And kind again, of blank slate type of, type of idea? Sorry? Uh, is it kind of like a blank slate type of idea? Kind of? In a way, it start, it, it's yeah. just that it's a very pure, in a very pure state. Yeah. So it already has a lot of beautiful crystalline structure to start with. Now, water is also really, really susceptible to artificial light. So as soon as that spring water goes into a plastic bottle and then sits on a shelf in artificial light, exposed to all manner of things, its structural integrity will start to um, wear down. And so that's why you often see very kind of disordered patterns in spring water that's been sitting on a shelf in Whole Foods, for example, in a plastic bottle for ages, because it's been, you know, it's not moving. It's, um, and it, it's exposed to a lot of artificial light. And so water much prefers to be in a darker environment. And um, for example, tap water does form different patterns, but you might be surprised. I'm not talking about tap water to drink, but tap water itself, despite what it's been exposed to, is actually highly sensitive. And that's because we're not just looking at water from a physical perspective. We're looking at water also from a uh, conscious or spiritual perspective. In Maori, the word for spirit is wairua. It means two waters, the physical and the spiritual waters, of which imbue entire person. There's both within us. I believe that the spiritual aspect of water is the observer. The observer is kind of like the witness, never judging. So we kind of have two worlds, really. The one we live on and the one we, we live in, inside of this body. Inside of this body is really experienced through our senses. The eyes bring in information to the brain and the ears bring in sound. Um, we taste through our tongue. We touch through our fingers. I mean, all of these things, you think about it, it's like we experience this world inside. So what do we ever actually experience outside of our physical body other than energy? that brings in that is that's also bringing information into the body, isn't it? So outside of this physical body, what do we experience? And there is something that we experience. We can observe ourselves. And this has been a really important part in my research as to is water conscious or is our consciousness impacting the water? Because the fact that we can observe ourselves is a very, very important piece to water being more than physical and potentially very spiritual indeed. So could I, it be both of those though too? Could water be conscious? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. So it, it's kind of like distilled water, for example. Distilled water's got no minerals in it. So suppose it shouldn't. And so it's the salts and the minerals that help store information. So we are a, a, an ocean, right? We're not fresh water. We're, we're salt water. We're not distilled water. It's the salts that also help store memories. So water 
distilled water is more in the space of observing rather than an active participant. An active participant would be spring water where it's moving and observing as at the same time. It has both. It's storing memories and information and observing at the same time, just like us, right? So it's actually the salts and minerals are a very important piece. We are salt water that gives us a sort of piezoelectricity as well. It's giving off again that electrical charge. So I've interviewed a number of people who have had near-death experiences and three of them said almost exactly the same thing. Um, they Their heart had stopped beating, they're being resuscitated. They explained that they felt this sense of rising and then they looked down upon themselves being resuscitated and in the sense of rising, um, there is an expansion and they know when they looked down, they, they simply observed the, their body being resuscitated. And a couple of them said, well, I hope that person's going to be okay. There was no attachment whatsoever to the physical body. So they had become the observer, the observer, even of themselves if in the physical body. And when you look at what a gas does, when a gas expands, it cools, which is why some people call and say that spirit feels cold. These kinds of things actually start to make some sense when you're looking into these realms. And I think there are different, there's a lot of subtleties in each stage of vase of water. Like there's something like 300 different types of ice. And in each stage of ice, there are subtleties. So in the state of air or the state of evaporation, There'll be many, many subtleties we haven't identified yet. And it's just a matter, I think it's just a matter of time before science eventually catches up and is actually be able to see this kind of subtle um, body essentially being able to, of the water becoming the into the observer space, just like what happens when you distill water. So it kind of becomes a steam and then you don't have the minerals anymore. You just have the observer without all of this kind of attachment to memories. Yeah. So, so I, one, uh, I know Ben's got to go pretty soon, so we'll, we'll close on this, but I, I kind of wanted to know what your response is to people who say it's a, a pseudoscience, because the, the first thing that pops up on, under Wikipedia with Masara Moto's work is that he was a pseudoscientist and he's doing all of these actual scientific procedures and studies showing that this stuff is something that happens. Why is science not accepting that this is something that happens? This I mean, you've shown enough examples tonight for any actual scientist to be interested and be like, we should check that out. Why Why are there not more people checking this out and uh, giving any credence to any of this? Well, I, I think Masaru Emoto, his work, um, because, because he did choose the pictures um, to prove his point, I think out of out of quite a number. The scientific community just didn't couldn't get on board with that based on the way in which he did it. It didn't make it less important, but in their opinion, it wasn't done in in, in a certain type of controlled manner that they would have liked. However, there he are he lost credibility doing that for sure. He wasn't yeah. as honest and open as he could have been. I can see that, but and why why wouldn't some other scientists be like, well, we're gonna do a controlled study? I mean, before you, obviously, because you're doing that to the max, but, but why wasn't there somebody else? Because it makes it look like he 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 did it on purpose that way to make it look fake. I don't know. That's what they could have interpreted, possibly. I think it's just about staying in balance with it. But but as far as pseudoscience goes, 
Um, I think that there are, I, like, for example, I was just at the annual water conference where there's some highly trained, like, PhD, like, people, you know, really, really educated, doing very serious work in this, in these kinds of areas, doing their, doing it in their own way. And um, there have been clear, there's clear evidence in other studies whereby um, they, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but my, Jerry Pollack was recently on one of my masterclasses and he gave this example where um, they gave some water, I think, to different people, the same water, and they took a droplet of it and they were able to drop it and dro let that droplet dry out. And each droplet that dried out, dried out into a specific shape relative to that person. So even though it was the same water, each person had their own signature droplet that was their very specific one. And if it was all of the same, why didn't it show the same patterns all along? So there's some very clear, serious science out there talking about water being able to store information. You only need to watch any of Dr. Gerald Pollack's work. And he is a very serious scientist, takes it very seriously. And even he scored pseudoscience. Rupert Sheldrake talking about morphic resonance. He's a pseudoscientist. So it really is just depends on what you want to be put your attention into. When science takes any of this seriously, it means that 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 there has had to have been, I think, a shift in the way we see science and the way we do science. We right. need science to does not like that. The science is settled. You don't you don't want to change the basic premise of science because then you've been wrong for quite some time. And here we are today in 2023. Yes. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I think when you know the truth is when honestly the science will overlay with the art and it will that will also overlay with the indigenous and ancient wisdom the consciousness the spiritual they will all kind of fall into this threefold perspective and they will all match when they match you know you've got a truth i think that's that's really where it comes down to the truth should always be simple we don't need like 10 million Linking like papers all written up about how this works. It should, should just work. You should see it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's it's absolutely ridiculous because you can't quantify things that are coming out of a conscious sentient being, where it it's not visible, but it's felt, and that that's un indescribable. The idea that. I mean, Joe and I were always raised on the idea that science can't explain everything. Sometimes you just have to believe it. It's called the scientific method for a reason. It's called medical practice for a reason. It's the idea that it isn't 100% been proven. And when it is, there's usually an underlying chasm that is then found out whenever they can, quote unquote, prove something scientifically that, oh, shit, people have known this for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years without being able to write it out in a thesis and prove it. It, it ends up being absolutely ridiculous where you have face value right in front of you evidence that these things are true just because your scientific method can't prove it. That just means the science hasn't caught up to a truth that is already out there. Yeah. Well, one of the things I'm super grateful for is that when I spoke at the conference, Jerry, <clears throat> Dr. Jerry Pollock stood up and literally um, invited me to put my hydroglyphs into 
um, as, as a scientific paper to help a scientist help me put it all together. Um, and then I've been offered to have it published in three uh, scientific journals. So um, I've got a friend working with me in the, as a quantum physicist, really explaining it more on a quantum level, <clears throat> um, presenting the work, the evidence, and then he's kind of backing it up with the math and the uh, science. I think that's going to be a wonderful reference for people coming in and being able to use this um, as a point going forward, because there is uh, there is a very kind of there's traditional science, but then there is the this the, um, the water science world, and we are really discovering amazing things. And there's a huge community of people desperate for this kind of work to get published, and we all know that mo there'll be a great deal of people thinking this is just bollocks. Oh, and, of and that's always going to be there, of course. But for the people that actually want to give it a go and actually want to try it for themselves and and actually before knocking it and going, oh, well, let's have a look and see what happens here, rather than going in with a kind of like um, very negative egotistical perspective, I'd just say go in with some curiosity. You'll have a much better luck doing that. And it might be fun. <laughs> So, um, and I think that's uh that's growing more and more now. People are just kind of yeah. being like, "Fuck it, let's see what happens." Like, what's the worst that could happen? I'm I've been trusting these old crusty white people for so long. Why not just go in and do my own experiments and see what happens? Why Why not flash freeze a, a centimeter of water in a freezer and fucking see what happens? Who knows? Maybe uh maybe we'll learn something. <laughs> when it comes to the nature of our consciousness, though, I think that. The powers that be just try to keep us away from that. They're like, no, we'll Absolutely. tell you what that is. This So the study of water reminds me of Clive Baxter's work with The Secret Life of Plants, where he was trying to determine if plants were conscious or if we were influencing the plants. And that's what he was reading. It's very similar, but just the nature of consciousness in general is always snuffed down. Like we We don't know anything about that. <laughs> no, it's created by the brain and right. then it dies when you just... <laughs> brain is given way too much credit i'm sorry it's a risk uh, well I'll before we go you really quick if you like it's actually something i've found i've just been sharing the last year but it's such a gift and this gift really has been from from the young people from my children that taught me this so once you've learned how to do the crystallography like it's super easy as i've just been talking about it um one of the things years and years ago that started to happen is that I'd take a photo and there'd still be the crystallography on the dish. Um, and my children would come to me and they would be like, oh, can I have that? And so what would happen is they'd start eating the ice. And when I'd go, what are you doing? They'd be like, it's good for me. And I'm like, oh, that's very interesting. And then um, over the course of time, uh, when I've been sharing my technique, uh, and I have a small team of people around the world helping me. They have some of them are parents and they're like, oh, you know what? My children do the same thing. I'm like, oh, what do these children know that I don't know? Like, I love to see what patterns there are. And I'm seeing, seeing these patterns and they're from the young people. So we've got to listen. And then um, my husband, he was like, oh, well, I think I want to try studying <clears throat> the words of plant medicine. So water doesn't read words, but it absorbs the energy of words and crystallizes into the energy of a word. And so 
he would um, like do a whole week on a certain word. So for this particular word, he used the word ayahuasca and would like write um, yeah. the word and do this and then, you know, take the photo and then eat the ice. And after about a week, he came to me and he said, you know, I think I need to take this a little seriously. And um, so then I'm like, Whew, okay, that's pretty cool. And so I started to share this with people in the beginner's workshops because they were learning the technique. And I'm like, if you are inspired, like use a word that kind of bubbles out of the well of your own intuition. And so a lot of people seem to have insomnia these days. And so I had a number of people writing the word uh, rest. And a couple of them got back to me and were using the word rest, writing the word, putting the dish of water on top of it for 30 seconds, freezing it, doing the technique, eating the ice. Did that for a week to 10 days. One lady gave me an email and she said, you know, I didn't even think, I didn't believe in this. I didn't really think this was impossible. She said, but something has changed whereby I've actually slept properly through the night for the first time in four years. So now we've had reports coming back from people that have had just headaches. Some some lovely, lovely lady shared about how she'd been constipated and she wrote some word that came out of her. And she's like, even as she was writing the word, she she was like, she knew it was going to work in the next minute. And so, and then, um, and then on my last masterclass, I had a lady, I invited her to come on because she'd done it for six months, writing the words and eating the ice. She'd been vaccine injured, had quite some serious stuff going on. And this was her way of healing herself. And she swears that it healed her. And I, so it's very early days, like very, very, you know, small, small group of people, only a handful. Hardly anyone's even really done it for any length of time. It's but what we've seen is really interesting. The fact that it came from the young people is really important. Like it, it's like a totally naturally informed liquid crystal medicine. People get worried about, you know, we hear about the, the ice melting and this melting and this melting, all this problems. But actually, I'm not saying it's not a problem. But what I'm saying is when the stage of melting is a fourth phase of water, the melting and the freezing stages, they're in-between stages. They're the states of creation. These are powerful stages. It's so different when you're eating ice that's been informed and crystallized into form. It's taken form. It's become in form. It has information rather than liquid water in its constantly updating state. It's a very different type of medicine. I, I did have a question for you to see if this was done. And if not, I would like to see this as kind of a study um, is the idea when you were talking about saying a word rather than either writing it, but just speaking it. <clears throat> um, has there been, and if not, would there be a way to having more practice people who know how to do this uh, to say the same thing over a series like you've done in tests, you know, doing it multiple times to see what comes out of it where they say the same word in their native language. Um, for yeah. instance, like you said, rest, you know, obviously we're going to say it that way. And then in German, in uh, Japanese, all of these different languages at the same time over a certain amount of multiple tests with practice people on the method to see what comes out of that. And if water understands the same concept 
with those because obviously all those different words are going to sound different they're going to have a different vibration yeah um we've done a lot of that already um which is one of the reasons my little team is so international a lady from slovenia a man from india um some a a few other people from around the place so we speak different languages have different types of water um speaking in our own dialects um so it's very interesting how comprehensive the amount of work we've actually done on the back end with it all is and we're seeing um that there is a response in in a very similar way so the word creation for example, in, in, there's a hydroglyph, which is the word for creation, the energy of the word creation. What's interesting is the hydroglyph for creation also means fire. And so mm. there's these layers of meaning, right? And what's interesting even more is that when um, the, the guy in India, he wanted to look into the word creation, he played a chant all about creation and he got the creation glyph. But there are four stages of the creation glyph in the melting and the slight freezing stages. And sometimes you can see all four states in one dish, whereby the creation glyph has all the elements of earth, air, fire, and water. And ether, of course, is the last one of which I'm working on finding a symbol for. So it's very complex. I literally feel with hydroglyphs, separate to the art and signature patterns, but with hydroglyphs, it feels like Um, I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie Arrival, where um, these alien spacecraft kind of come down and there's these kind of squid-like aliens that are there and they send this like uh, woman, this like teacher or something to go and try to interpret these kind of this language that they um, use in this ink on this big wall, these circles with these variations of the circle on it. And he, she's trying to interpret how to understand what they mean. I literally, I, that, that feels like me. And without help from other people around the world, especially, I think, from people, the everyday people who are just curious, because it's the everyday people that are just curious, honestly, that um, don't come with the traditional standard dogma of some of the more um kind of scientific approaches whereby actually we get to identify patterns together. We they, they get to identify new hydroglyphs and then come to me and I'll repeat them. We get to find the layers of meaning with them. We have different people's perspectives, which we need to actually have a whole picture rather than just one direction. This is how water actually is honestly bringing us all together. I think if it's it's like the connecting force of life, the blood force and the blood line of life because it connects all life together. So I, I think it's very powerful work. Love it. You got anything? Yeah. Any questions? Anybody before we close out? Anyone going once? She she answered all mine and more. Uh, I, thank you yeah. very much. Thank you very much for coming on the show. This is... Uh, when you were talking about, uh, you know, basically people poo-pooing on it, uh, first thing I want to do is go, that was me an hour and a half ago, uh, because I didn't know anything about any of this. Um, I think a lot of what you were talking about in explaining it is taken for granted out of ignorance, just because we don't know. So we don't know to ask questions to things we don't think are either plausible. Um, But now I'm wanting to try freezing shit and eating it 
just to see. And Ben actually means that literally. He's going to take a piss into a petri dish. (laughs) I do want to ask really quick. Is there a certain type of petri dish material that you would recommend for freezing best? You need to be using glass. So if you want to get started straight away and you don't, lots of people, when they're getting ready for my workshops, the petri dishes take ages or they break or something happens. You can start, if you're desperate, with like a, a glass pyrex like baking tray Mm -hmm. um because it's quite large and you just need to know your ratios so you need three quarters of the dish to be empty when you tip it and a quarter of the dish to be full Um, so it just pulls and so the ratio was the same for any size of your dish you want three quarters of the dish to be empty and a quarter of the dish to have the water in it and so you have that much water and then each person's freezer setting is going to be different. So that's kind of where you really need um, to be aware of knowing that you want liquid on top and ice underneath. And that's why the workshops are helpful. I help everyone individually. But, um, but I mean, you can just kind of from that information alone, kind of take it from there and make sure you wipe the back of the dish so it doesn't interrupt with the photos you're taking. Pyrex dishes take longer to freeze because the glass is thicker. Sometimes you can have a glass with a flat bottom and you can photograph down the glass. They're never going to be as good as glass Petri dishes. Glass is important because essentially glass is a type of silica. Silica is made of crystal. Crystal store information. It helps water to store information for longer. Plastic, the, the water will push away from the center and kind of just kind of freeze around the edges. Um, water really doesn't respond at anywhere near as well in plastic as it does in glass. Um, and also I don't cover my Petri dishes um, because it's not practical when you, are, especially in the early stages of learning, um, you when you put your dish in there, you want to be able to see is it is it was at that stage yet or not? You know, if it's got its dish over the top, you have to pull it off. You're going to shake the dish. Da 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 da. So um, so then you basically you have two dishes instead of one with a lid. So um, yeah, there's there's lots of simple tips. People can just get the step by step guide on my website, and it just guides you through it. You can get on a workshop or or anything. Um, but I take a deep, deep dive into the much, much, for me, really interesting areas uh, where water can take you uh, around consciousness, around more of the quantum area. I've got um, Dave um, Zed, you know, his podcast. Oh, yeah. He's coming, he's a speaker on my next masterclass. We're talking about, is there, I've got a um, uh, an archaeologist friend of mine, Tim Moon, talking about, his excavations around the Bosnian pyramid about um, strange things that he's discovered over the many years uh, about the potential of um, Atlantis and Lemuria and ancient legends. Like, is there any evidence for the kind of idea of Mer people and all this I'm be sharing for the very, one of the very first times sharing my own um, near death experience and yeah lots and lots of stuff so that's well that sounds that sounds nice. like a part two to get into the more interesting stuff uh because now that we have the premise set um yeah i would i would love to have you back on to get more into the deep dive of the consciousness and nde and that type of stuff i'll have questions about energy in relation to the water work and how that flows together Oh, I can't wait to hear that. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to seeing you all again.
Of course. Awesome. And thank you. Anybody so much. out there who's interested, you can find her at vedaaustin.com or on Instagram at vedaaustin underscore water. I think that's it, right? At vedaaustin underscore water. I think I have that right. Yay. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate it. What a yeah, thank you. This was knocked amazing. out job. This is Super amazing. Excited. Thank you for accommodating us with your New Zealand schedule and yes. our America schedule. We figured it out. <laughs> yeah. Thank there you. Oh my God, it took ages, didn't it? So I know. <laughs> we managed to get there. Oh, it's such a pleasure meeting you all. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you. Have a great well. night. Thank you. And for the listeners, of course, you can find, if you want the visuals for this episode, you can find it on Rockfin or YouTube. Uh, the links will be in the show notes as always and have a great night. Everybody we will see you next time.